0: Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Interim Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health. Now Dr. Phil Chan, welcome everyone. Hello, Dr. Phil Chan, good to see you again today, and fun to have this conversation today. I'm excited about today's episode. So today we're gonna to be talking to some local Rhode Island experts about the amazing and innovative work being done to prevent overdose and reduce risk of HIV, hepatitis C, and other infectious diseases in Rhode Island. So, Dr. Chan, is this topic of any interest to you at all?
1: This is very exciting. In fact, I am thrilled to have some
0: of my colleagues from the community joining us, including Katie Howe from the Department of Health. So, let's get into meeting our guests a little bit first. Why don't we start with Katie, since Dr. Chan just called you out, and then we'll ask Vanessa to introduce herself, and then Caitlin. Katie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Then we'll go with Vanessa and
2: Caitlin.
3: Sounds great. Thank you. So, my name is Katie Howe, and I'm the Prevention Program Manager for the Center for HIV, hepatitis, SDs, and TB epidemiology at the Rhode Island Department of Health. So I oversee all of our key prevention programs, including HIV testing in the community, syringe services access and harm reduction, as well as our condom distribution program. And I work closely with our community partners on all of these efforts.
2: Hi, I'm Vanessa Perez. I'm the lead prevention worker for AIDS Care Ocean State. I've been working with the agency since 2014, and I was actually lucky enough to have Dr. Chan train me on how to do HIV and hepatitis C testing.
4: Hello, everyone. I'm Caitlin. I'm AIDS Care Ocean State's new harm reduction case manager. I also help out with the Encore Needle Exchange program. Great to be here.
1: Thank you all three of you for joining us, and thank you for that shout out, Vanessa. It's a pleasure. As I think uh, all three of you know, uh, HIV, hepatitis C, STIs are very important to us at the Department of Health and uh, very important to me personally addressing them. But Katie, let's start with you. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about the overdose and addiction crisis here in Rhode Island. Tell us what's happening specifically in our state.
3: So Rhode Island is experiencing an increase in overdose deaths, and this is in line with national trends across the country. We have found that it is extremely important to provide harm reduction services to individuals in the community using a harm reduction lens. So the harm reduction approach really meets people where they're at and provides them with compassion and ensures their dignity. And it really provides a person-first approach to meeting people where they are and providing the services that they need, regardless of where they may be living at the time. So Rhode Island has increased our harm reduction outreach efforts over the last few years, and we're really excited today to be talking about the harm reduction vending machine program that East Harrison State has implemented in the community.
0: Yeah, Katie, I want to talk about the harm reduction vending machine program. I, I think that's very novel and I'm very interested. But let's, before we get into that a little bit, why don't we just talk a little bit about the pandemic and how did COVID 19 impact overdose rates? What were your thoughts on that?
3: Well, during the COVID pandemic, we saw that. There was an increase in overdose debris and it was harder for people to access the life-saving services that they need. Many of our harm reduction organizations were still doing essential work. They were still providing the lock zone in the community, but it was difficult as we were told to stay home and we were told to provide services in a way that limited patient, person-to-person interaction. And this person-to-person interaction is really how we provide these harm reduction services. We have conversations with people on a regular basis which increases the risk for persons getting for people getting COVID. So by limiting the harm reduction approaches, we had to become more creative with other ways that we were providing services.
1: Yeah, thank you, Katie. And I think that strikes a chord, not just for uh, substance use uh, services uh, in general, but certainly for all, a lot of clinical services. And the folks from ACOS may be able to chime in on that in a second. But I know from some of the STI clinics and other clinics, I mean, everyone just cut down hours and, Uh, We tried to do a lot over telemedicine, telephone in general, uh, et cetera. But let me ask you this, Katie. Sometimes you hear a lot lately, harm reduction, and you kind of touched on this, like what harm reduction means. Um, Tell us a little bit about what the Department of Health is doing in terms of harm reduction uh, and some of the ways in general that we think about addressing the epidemic here in Rhode Island.
3: So, we talk about harm reduction because everyone deserves the opportunity to live a healthy life and achieve their full potential. Some of the core harm reduction principles include treating people with respect, dignity, and compassion for people who use drugs. We have to acknowledge that there is that there is drug use happening in our community, and we have to provide people with the knowledge and the resources to be able to access the life-saving services that they need. So, the Rhode Island Department of Health is, a leader in harm reduction services. Rhode Island as a whole is a leader in harm reduction services. We have a multifaceted approach to harm reduction services in the community. And these services include distributing clean syringes to people who may need them, ensuring HIV and hepatitis C rapid testing, providing naloxone and fentanyl test strips, as well as wound care kits, hygiene kits, and other life-saving services, which AIDS Harris and in state can talk a little bit more about. But we, with our multifaceted approach, we have drop-in centers where people can access the services that they need. We do street outreach, literally meeting people where they are on the streets with our outreach teams using a peer-to-peer model. We do door-to-door delivery. If someone's interested in receiving harm reduction services, they can call up one of our community partners and they can get the services that they need delivered directly to where they are. And we have our harm reduction vending machines, which we'll talk a little bit more about today.
0: Yeah, thank you, Katie. And, you know, it's interesting just listening to that I and mean, listening. Like, there's a lot that we actually do, like offering needle exchange. So people could get sterile needles. That's that's one harm reduction. Doing testing for either HIV or hepatitis C is another harm reduction strategy. Distributing naloxone is another uh, strategy. And, you know, we even do that through the mail or, or even person-to-person. Offering fentanyl test strips is another harm reduction strategy. Wound care kits are another harm reduction strategy. You know, these are just quite a list here of things that we do here. Just very interesting. And I think on top of that, there's a drop-in center that you had mentioned as well. So that was quite a list you went through. And I want to I now go to talk to Vanessa a little bit about some of the innovative work being done in Rhode Island to address the overdose addiction epidemic. For example, harm reduction vending machines. So, you know, Vanessa, why don't we just talk about this? Because like, it's kind of one of those things you didn't normally expect that sentence to come in, right? Like harm reduction Vending machine, but I think a vending machine, I think of the thing down on the first floor of the department of health where you can get yourself a decent Snickers bar. But that's not what we're talking about, but kind of it is. So, what are harm reduction vending machines? How do they work and what are they dispensing? Vanessa, why don't you walk us through that a little bit?
2: So, our harm reduction vending machines, we stock them with what we call C3 kits or safe. Injection kits. Um, They contain sterile needles, sterile water, cooker caps, um, tourniquets, cottons, band aids, antibiotic ointment, and alcohol pads. Then we also stock them with wound care kits, condom kits, uh, hygiene kits, and then we have fentanyl test strips and Narcan also available in them. So what clients would do is they would come to the vending machine and they would punch in the number of letters in their last name and then their date of birth. It's all in a two-digit format, and then they can select which products they want. We limit to three of each item in the vending machine per week, and they can go about their day and do what they need to do.
1: Yeah, thank you yeah. for that, Vanessa. And you're you know you're on the front lines of this, uh, dealing with folks uh, every day who struggle with substance use. Let me ask you this: you know, you just mentioned a number of supplies and uh, approaches for harm reduction. Tell the average listener here why harm reduction is a thing. Why don't these people just get into treatment? Why why do we even need to talk about harm reduction?
2: Well, the old adage, you can lead a horse to water and you can't make a drink does come to mind when it comes to people being ready to go into treatment and help themselves get clean.
0: Yeah. And Vanessa, it kind of makes me understand this a little better. And I want to just talk a little more about the vetting machines. So I understand it's a pilot project. And there's four harm reduction vending machines located in Rhode Island, at least that I've heard about. So where are they and how did you choose where they would
2: go? You want to just maybe under, help me understand that a little better? Well, my department head and I looked at locations that we thought would benefit the most from the vending machines. We have one at the Thundermist Health Center in West Warwick on Providence Street. We have one at the Kodak facility over on Huntington Avenue. We have one located directly in the parking lot of the Broadmead Building, where AIDS Care Ocean State is housed, and then we have one at Harrington Hall, the homeless shelter over in Cranston.
1: Caitlin, let's let's go to you for a second. Let me let me ask you this: Can you walk us through, or even if you have any stories to share, uh, any examples of of people that ACOs have cared cared for? Tell us about some of the clients uh, just in general, you know, you can provide specifics, uh, think of specific people, obviously don't provide any names, uh, but uh, just tell us some of the stories. If you have any, a couple uh, that kind of capture who is seeking services at ACOS.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So quite a, Few people are using our harm reduction vending machines already. In the four-month period from December 2021 through March 2022, we've seen a total of 982 transactions. So of those 982 transactions, we served a total of 79 clients. Of those clients, 49 were male. 44 were female, and four were staff. And that staffing piece is a little important because if someone is not ready to enroll in the Encore program or they've reached their limit, that's when staff comes in. So they can provide more materials if your limit's up or if you're just not ready to sign up for the program. The supplies that are most used, like Vanessa said, are our C3 kits or our safer injection kits, followed by our Narcan kits and our fentanyl test strip kits. So for numbers sake, within this four month period, we've distributed a total of 605 safer injection kits. 166 doses of narcan and 125 fentanyl test strip kits. So we are getting, you know, proper supplies to the people who need them when they need them. That's the most important. Also we mentioned previously um I know Vanessa mentioned locations were strategically chosen. So for example, if somebody's accessing, accessing a vending machine at Thundermist Health Center, they can access that machine but if they so choose, they could walk into, into that establishment and seek out future wraparound services. So I have had feedback of that specific example where somebody was like accessing the vending machine and they're like, you know what, let me walk in, see what else I could maybe do for my health. So it is an access point to other services as well as our harm reduction services that we're providing in the vending machine.
0: Yeah, okay, Then so that, that's really interesting to me. So Like safe injection kits. So that's, I'm assuming syringes. So it it sounds like it's just sterile needles though, which is important. It is. If you have a sterile needle. Because here's the thing, is if someone doesn't have a sterile needle, they'll reuse the needle. You know, obviously we like to get people into treatment. That's obviously our goal. The thing about a harm reduction strategy though, it's like not everybody's ready for treatment. Uh, So we're trying to meet people where they are, when they are. And the nice thing about a vending machine, it's, it's anonymous in a way, like you just show up and there, you can use it when it's convenient for you. But it's interesting, like we're giving out Narcan as well and fentanyl test strips. So these are free. Am I understanding this correctly? All the resources in here are free, right?
4: Yes, they're free. And with the exclusion of Harrington Hall, they're all 24-hour accessible.
0: So who's paying for these supplies? Because obviously someone's got to pay for the syringes, the Narcan, and the fentanyl test strips. Who's buying all this stuff?
4: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, And I would hand that over to Katie who can tell you specifically where all our funding is coming from. So
3: this funding is a combination of centers for disease control funding, as well as the naloxone is provided through the state of Rhode Island. So the state of Rhode Island has a central ordering system for organizations that are interested in distributing naloxone. The money for that comes from a variety of different sources. So the funding that ACOS is using is primarily centers for disease control funding, but also some other funding sources through the naloxone contribution.
1: Wonderful, and I, you know, I want to ask Dr. McDonald a question here. Dr. McDonald, you've actually been one of the leaders uh, in substance use at the Department of Health, and I know, I believe you sit on the state overdose task force. But I'm actually just wondering, from your perspective, Dr. McDonald, uh, some of these questions, and specifically, you know, what can we do from your standpoint? What can we do to address substance use? I mean, uh, Katie mentioned that we're seeing, you know, you know, sky high number, you know, highest ever in terms of overdose deaths. I mean, what are we doing wrong? What can we do better? Is there a solution?
0: Yeah, so I, I think, you know, one of the ways I think about this is you, you've got to cover this from multiple angles, right? So, you know, I feel like the prescribing in the state's a lot, a lot improved, right? So in other words, starting less people on opioids for prescriptions is is a good thing as prevention, right? But I think the other things that we do well in the state is we're, we're pretty good at having enough people to offer buprenorphine and other forms of treatment like methadone. We have decent access to that. It's something we can always improve, but it's, it's in the right direction. I love that we have all these peer recovery coaches across state who can go from you know, various places in the state where they're useful and where they can be meeting people at their needs. And and I I think those are important strategies as well. And the harm reduction work is kind of intriguing to me as well, though, because I think it does speak to just helping people kind of keep them alive, you know, until they have that window of willingness. You know, Rhode Island is the first state to offer harm reduction centers. We haven't opened one yet. We're waiting for someone to apply for uh, for that. So we're, you know, we're excited to see how that's going to move along. I think that's a big thing. You know, I think one of the things that we have to look at, though, as a state is, and maybe more so as a nation, is really understanding the demand issue. You know, one of the things we've talked about before is what are the things that are very far upstream in people's lives that put them at increased risk for being exposed to an opioid and then having a problem with it? Uh, Because, you know, keep in mind, opioids are addictive and they cause dependence, just true for everybody. But some people are at higher risk than others. You know, we talked a little bit in the past about adverse childhood experiences, or some people have other you know, genetic predispositions, there's other people who have adverse social determinants of health, you know, but I really think that, you know, we have to look at just the supply issue, like one of the things you really see in Rhode Island in particular is huge amount of fentanyl coming in overseas, you know, my my law enforcement colleagues tell me they're impressed if they get five or 6% of what comes over our borders um, in fentanyl, which isn't much. And so we have a huge supply problem, mostly coming from China, is my understanding. So I think it really it puts us in a difficult position where we're going to be with this problem for you know quite a long time here. And that's why ideas like this are intriguing to me. Like it's a novel idea. It's a pilot project. And it's something that I think is kind of creative and something that I think might help a little bit. So, you know, it's one of those things where the idea of going to a vetting machine and instead of getting a Snickers bar, getting Narcan, is kind of intriguing to me or a fentanyl test strip. And I think it'd be important to talk about what exactly is a fentanyl test strip and why is that important? Like, and I guess I'll just ask any of our panelists here, either Katie, Caitlin, or Vanessa, would one of you just volunteer to say, what is a fentanyl test strip and why would someone actually use it?
4: So fentanyl test strips are designed to test for fentanyl within your drugs. So for example, why would somebody want to use this? Well, we all know fentanyl is extremely deadly in a small dose. So Having somebody test their drugs, either the whole supply or or the dose that they are taking will inform them to, to make decisions from there. So if somebody has a drug and it tests positive for fentanyl, we recommend you not use it. However, if you are going to use it, you now know there's fentanyl in it and you might change your dosing habits or consumption habits from that. So even if it doesn't test positive for fentanyl, we always recommend uh, you know, taking your doses slower um, because we don't know what is in them. If the tests are only testing for fentanyl. So we do like to make that disclaimer that even if your fentanyl test strip does show up negative, still use with caution.
0: So someone might think they're using cocaine, but cocaine, you know, powder looks like a white powder, fentanyl looks like a white powder too. And so, you know, I think that's something where if someone's gonna use cocaine. This is a way to say well is it really cocaine you know because sometimes you know when you're buying drugs from an illicit drug dealer there's no label on it you don't really know what you're buying um, so it's a way to use a fentanyl test strip and you know obviously we want to move people into treatment we really do want to move people into treatment moving people into treatment though takes time you know for anyone who's actually having anyone anyone who's a family member or a friend who struggles with these diseases one of the things you notice from time to time is that people relapse um sometimes people you know are just aren't ready for treatment um, but sort of giving those life-saving supplies keeps them alive another day, you know, and whether that's a clean needle, whether it's a nasal dose of Narcan, whether it's a fentanyl test strip, these are useful tools um, that people could have. And quite frankly, putting them in this pilot project of like these four vetting machines across the state in, in high-risk areas, you know, is it's a very novel and interesting idea. I, I'm glad to see we're doing that. Do other states have these vetting machines? Anyone know if another state's doing this yet, or are we the first one?
3: So other states do have these vending machines. We first learned about these from the state of Nevada. They have these around the the greater Las Vegas area. And since then, we have continued to do additional research on what other states have implemented public health vending machines. And this includes Puerto Rico actually installed one of the first vending machines back in 2009. So they've been around for quite a while. But other places like Chicago have implemented them. We had a conversation with Cincinnati when we were talking about implementation. There was a New York Times article recently about New York plans to do harm reduction vending machines. So they are gaining a lot of momentum. And I meet regularly with leaders from other states who are interested in implementing these vending machines. And it's a way for us to exchange best practices.
1: Yeah, Thank you, Katie. And one thing that I personally like about the vending machine approach, you know, I think in the clinical world, uh, so many times we expect people to come to us all the time, right? It's kind of a service that we're offering. And one thing that really uh, resonates, at least to me personally, about the vending machines is that they're always there. And I think, as you mentioned, 24-7. And I think we as a society generally like things that are available 24-7. And as we know, addiction doesn't always adhere to a schedule, uh, so I think for these things to be available 24-7 is really, hopefully it will help us address the substance use epidemic that we're seeing in our state. And just on the note of addiction, you know, in my clinical practice, I, I've just really been struck over the years at how powerful addiction can be and the things that people do, um, you know, just the, the cravings. And essentially, you're out of control. Your behaviors are dictated by the addiction and people just are totally out of control. And I, I think I'm reminded, you know, as we talk about the heart- harm reduction approach, to me, it's it's kind of pushing people along that spectrum, that continuum to hopefully get them to a better place. You know, you're not looking for them to be totally abstinent uh, from uh, substances, from, from drugs, because a lot of times that's unrealistic because addiction is such a powerful driving force. But to me, this harm reduction approach is really trying to push people along the spectrum to eventually uh, to a place where they can get better and can uh, seek treatment but I'm just just on this theme of addiction for a second and Vanessa I'm just curious if you have any thoughts about this how do you, I'm just uh, the addiction that you see in the clients of ACOs I mean what do you what are are your experiences like that I'm sort of talking from the clinical realm here but what is what's the community perspective addiction what do you see in some of your clients there?
2: I have actually personally witnessed two of our clients go from being everyday visitors to our facility to being maybe once a month or once every two months. Um, so the information that we provide to them, they have actually taken and run with it and, you know, sought treatment, got on methadone, um, have cut down their consumption of illicit substances.
0: So why don't we just talk a little bit practically about this? Like if someone wanted to use a harm reduction vending machine, how would they get enrolled in the program?
2: So they could call us at 401-781-0665, or they could just come into the building at Broadmed at the corner of Broad and Parkes, and we can enroll them right there. The enrollment takes about three minutes, and within five minutes it takes about two minutes to enter them into the vending machine system so they can access it and within that full five minutes they'll be ready to go for the vending machine
0: so they could call the number 401-781-0665 or they could come to
2: the building and what's the name of the building and where is it located it is located at 557 broad street and it is called the Broadmed building
0: <laughs> super and then why don't we just go to katie is You know, the machines I understand are are co-located next to safe disposal boxes. Why is that important? I'm just curious, Katie, why did we do that?
3: Yeah, we locate a safe disposal box next to the vending machine because as Caitlin mentioned the statistics earlier of the number of harm reduction kits and safe injection kits that we're giving out in the vending machines, those include clean needles. It's important for us to be able to have a mechanism to collect all of those clean needles. We wanna make sure that we're keeping our community safe and clean. Um, we've seen that states that have these safe disposal boxes really have uh, cleaner communities because they don't have syringes in the parks, public places, on sidewalks, et cetera.
0: Yeah, thank you. So it's been a fun conversation with you all today. I want to thank Katie Howe, Caitlin Case, and Vanessa Perez. It's been enjoyable talking about not just harm reduction vending machines, but harm reduction strategies in general in Rhode Island. But it's time for Stephanie to cue the music as we close up our episode, because one of our traditions at Public Health Out Loud is the final word with Dr. Chan. Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today's episode? Great, thank you, Dr.
1: McDonald. And first off, I just want to thank Katie for joining us from The Power of Health. Thank you for all your work. And Caitlin and Vanessa, thank you for all your work uh, from ACOS in the community. Uh, Certainly valued and appreciated and huge impact here in our state. In closing, I do want to leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is from from the Buddha. One moment can change a day, one day can change a life, and one life can change the world. So thank you all again for your work and everyone else be well.
0: I want to thank Stephanie Menders, our executive producer, Carol Stone, our technical director. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.